0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's an all-pet day today here on Creature Comforts. The doors to our pet hospital are wide open, and we're welcoming all your pet questions from the big to the small. Do you have a cat or dog at home, or maybe both? What about questions about exotic pets like rabbits, snakes, or ferrets? Don't hesitate to join the conversation by phone or email. Also, if you've had any general wildlife experiences, we always like for you to call in and share those. So join our conversation this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Send an email to animals at org. If you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday mornings, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. Good morning, Libby. Uh, let's start with you. What uh, interesting sightings have you been seeing around your area lately?
2: We had... Have- We've seen two monarch butterflies now, so that's probably um, the most interesting thing we've seen or the most excited we've gotten, to know that our monarchs are coming back through. It's uh, too early for them to be laying their eggs because we don't have our milkweed up, but these monarchs may be, you know, they. we've talked about the long migration that they have, so... Um, They've probably come up from Mexico and are still heading north. So they were nectaring um, on some flowers and I imagine have head out, headed on out. But we've also, let's see, we've still got orange-tipped falcate or falcate orange-tip, uh, a pretty little tiny butterfly that... Um, I think most of our listeners can see if they get out in the yard. Look, at first it looks like a white butterfly, and then when you notice the little orange tips on it, and the underwing is very uh, fancy, light, green, um, brocade-looking design. It's a pretty tiny little butterfly. And then if we want to look for big butterflies, we're seeing um, tiger swallowtails fairly you know, several, some nice big ones, and also zebra swallowtails. And uh, let's see, what else we've got? Uh, I think I had a black phase of a uh, tiger swallowtail. And our hummingbirds are here still, so we're enjoying that. Uh, we've uh, Let's see. Oh, I know one thing. I've, I've had a note. In fact, last week I had a note. Week before last, Kathleen called in about seeing fireflies. And I'm pretty sure that what she's seen is the paractamina, which is um, the treetop flashers. And uh, those are the earliest fireflies. And they're they're called a treetop flasher because they do get in the tops of trees, but they don't have to be in the tops of trees. So people should start watching for those. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll probably get several more species, including the synchronous fireflies. So that's something that we're watch for every evening. We, we're in that mode now where we uh, of course, we're mindful during the day and look for everything so on our walks in the woods, but uh, try to go out every night, at least a little bit, to look for fireflies and anything else that we might, and to hear the frogs calling too.: All
1: right, uh, we've got uh, our friend John Davis on the line calling in from Jackson. John, you're on the air with us. Good morning.
3: I'm delighted to be there. Libby, thank you for talking about insects. Hey, John. You know, perhaps more people want want to uh, look at the uh, flowers and birds this time of year than the insects, but there would be far fewer flowers and birds without insects. What I want to talk about in my yard is uh, one of nature's April pool kind of scary one. If you will look on the sides of your house, fairly low down where it's damp, you may see an almost, at this time of year, you'll almost certainly see something that looks like a nightmarish mosquito, a huge, sprawly, mosquito-like fly. They're, they're so alarming-looking, they have names like gully nippers. <laughs> And I think they may be the source of a legendary monster Mississippi mosquito that can drain you in one attack. Uh, they're crane flies. Uh, do, you, do you notice any of them around? I
2: haven't seen a crane fly, and I do love to see those. It's uh, it, it can look like, I guess, a prehistoric. Large mosquito, but they're they're really fun to watch, and um, it's strangely delicate in a, but almost kind of a
3: yeah. Well, they're an know, enormous of,
2: kind of a, yeah.
3: yeah. They're an immense group of flies, and about we know very little about them. Their classification is a mess. We hardly know what to call them. But uh, but the young ones are called leather jackets, and they typically live in wet places. Uh, on fungus and organic matter and so on. And uh, other than being the source of legend and alarm, they're very important for birds like sandpipers in wetlands, uh, particularly in Arctic tundra. It's been estimated that sandpipers could scarcely make it without them.
2: I did not know that. Thank you.
3: Yeah. So, uh, again the insect world is so interesting and thank you so much for getting people to look at it and it is so good to hear your voice. How's your daughter?
2: Oh, everybody's doing
3: fine. Good is to she, hear you. Are you doing any research right now?
2: Uh, no, not right now. She's had a second baby, so that's what's happening right now. Oh
3: my, she's doing some very important research. Well, <laughs> don't be alarmed by the gully nippers and it's so good to hear your voice.
1: All right, uh, John, good to hear from you. Thanks for calling in. Uh, Dr. Major, I know you're uh, our, kind of our resident insect expert. Uh, are you familiar with the crane fly? Did you ever have one in your collection?
4: Absolutely. Uh, and I tell you what, really, they're really enjoyed by the cats when they get in the house. <laughs> You'll see a cat trying to climb the wall to get one, and they flutter around. Uh, but, uh, yes, that's that's pretty pretty cool insect and uh they're very fragile as uh I think Olivia or John alluded to uh they they will break up if you're not very careful if you collect them so they're they're interesting creatures and very a part of the ecosystem but uh yeah so uh I, go ahead i always enjoy the little orange uh black tip uh butterflies that uh Libby was talking about, and uh, they they they're usually in semi wooded area, maybe not dense woods, but they they flutter around and very very beautiful. We've got Easter Sunday coming up. Yeah. Go ahead, Libby. Go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say uh, the book that I was looking at last night said they like to patrol the area, and it does kind of look like that doesn't it, Troy? They They're like, they know everything that's
0: going on in that yard. I think think
4: you're right with that. And they they do seem to be very, uh, what shall I say, territorial, I guess. Uh, And uh, you see them, they're quite active. They move around quite a bit, yes. So as I mentioned, Easter Sunday coming
1: up, uh, Jollies, a pet chain in the U.K., has temporarily banned the sale of pet rabbits amid fears of impulse buyers leading to the pets ending up in poorly Mm -hmm. suited homes. Dr. Major... Uh, thoughts on a rabbit? Do you think that they make uh, good pets? D- do they require maybe uh, more than, say, uh, having a, a, a cat or dog at home
4: would? You know, that's an interesting question, and uh, it is one that some people should give thought uh, to before purchasing a rabbit. Uh, there's actually a house rabbit society uh, that uh, some people actually have the rabbit in the house running loose. They can be litter box trained uh, and make quite good pets. On the other hand, I'd say there are quite a few that wind up relegated to a cage in the backyard and maybe uh, minimal care as far as feed and this sort of thing. So give a lot of thought uh, before you purchase uh, a rabbit as a gift, especially because
1: All right, uh, before our first break, let's work in a phone call. It's our friend Sue, who's called in from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air with us.
3: All right. I, first, I'd like to say it was good to hear John's voice again. And I recently saw one of those mosquitoes. I didn't know it was a mosquito. I thought Hello. it was very interesting, though. And um, <clears throat> what I wanted to ask Libby is, are birds all birds territorial? Because I had a woodpecker out in the backyard, and um, a crow came and just ran him off. <laughs> <laughs> And the woodpecker flew right over the house, and it was so interesting to see with his red head and everything. But um, as, soon, as soon as that woodpecker comes out there on that tree and starts to peck around, you know, bo, 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 this crow comes and runs him off. And I'm wondering if are crows territorial, Are all birds well, territorial.
2: Well, all birds are not territorial. It does vary. But now in the spring, when they're setting up... Um, territories usually this is when you'll see most of that territorial kind of behavior, but crows are a little bossy anyway. They, you know, they like to think to show off that they can rule the roost, but, uh, During the spring, even the very smallest, and you know how aggressive a hummingbird can be, the little tufted titmice, everybody's setting up a territory Mm -hmm. and looking for a mate. So they compete with the other males for territory, and they also compete for mates. Mm -hmm. And uh, if uh, particularly something like a male bluebird, he's going to be looking for a good box for his, um, you know, for his mate. Mm -hmm. So they they can kind of fight over the boxes too. So yes, birds tend to be a little bit aggressive to each other, but it it will it will lessen later in the year, if that makes sense. When they all decide where their nest is, they're they're they taking care of babies then and they won't be aggressive to each other very much at least.
3: It's interesting to watch them though.
2: <laughs> It is, and I, I'm giving them human attributes, I guess, but uh, that's that's part of the fun of watching them, I guess, and it? it is to sort of compare them to uh, human society. Well, thank you.
1: Good to hear from thank you, you. Uh, Sue. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Time for our first break of the hour. When we return, we'll be looking for your pet questions for Dr. Major. Also, Libby's here to talk about your brushes with nature. Call with your questions and comments. The number is one MPB Ring. It's 1-877-672-7464. Email animals at mpbonline.org. We'll talk to Joe in North Tippec County after this break, so stay tuned. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the
4: Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio.
1: You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. If you want to join our conversation this morning with a question or a comment, our phone number is one mpb ring It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Got some calls to get to and an email, so off we go for this episode of Creature Comforts. Let's start in North Tippa County. Joe has called in today. Good morning, hey, Joe. Go good ahead. good morning. How are you? We're doing good. Uh,
5: well, I just wanted to report I have a Meyer lemon tree that I had to take in my house in the winter time, and it always blooms uh, in the, before I can put it outside. So it, it was full-bloomed, and I had to take it out yesterday, put it out in the yard, And I went out there about ten minutes. There was four large uh, butterflies on that bush within ten minutes after I said it outside. Hmm. And they uh, they were the size of a monarch. They were yellow, but it seemed like they were a brighter yellow than a monarch. Uh, I don't know what they were, but they were beautiful, and they they stayed there fluttering around on my tree. And uh, I usually get three crops. Off that tree in one year. Uh, last year, I I took a little brush, and pollinated some of the blooms before I put it outside, and then I set it outside and it bloomed again, and let the insects pollinated, and then in the middle of the summer it bloomed again, and I got three crops off that. I guess I got 20 or more uh, big lemons about the size of a softball, uh, about the size of a uh, uh, tennis ball. And so I thought I was having
1: a pretty good crop off about it. Libby, any thoughts on the big yellow butterfly?
2: Yes, one of the swallowtails does pollinate citrus and uses it even as a host plant. And I can't remember if it is the giant swallowtail. I want to say it might be the giant swallowtail. I'll look it up right now. But that's right on spot. One of those butterflies right. is um, hosted by citrus. So, I'm so glad that they found your citrus tree.
4: that's that's great. Uh, I was thinking I didn't know whether the, what the color was exactly the the big yellow butterflies we have, but also the viceroy uh, looks very similar to a monarch, so it could have been that as well.
2: well all right. they were oh, beautiful,
5: yeah. beautiful bright yellow
1: okay all right, uh, Joe, thanks for calling in, joining our conversation this morning. Uh, Let's uh, take an email here. This is an interesting one. Uh, It says, we walk a gravel road a few times each week. There's a pool of water along the road and a log on the far side of the pool. Usually turtles will be lined up along the log, taking in the sunshine. On a recent walk, as the log came into view, there was something at the middle of the log with a few turtles on one end. As we got closer, that something stood up and flew away. It was a duck. It seemed unusual that the duck could take over the log and intimidate the turtles. On subsequent walks, the turtles have reclaimed the log to their exclusive use. At least that's what we observe on our walks. Dr. Major, uh, any thoughts on that? I know turtles do seem to be kind of skittish. I know that when I see them in the park sometimes you don't get uh, too close and then they're off on their way, you know, underwater or or seeking uh, shelter. Uh, Could a duck and turtles coexist on a
4: log, do you think? Well, that sounds like an extreme case of social distancing. Uh, I'm just not real sure exactly what's going on. But, yes, the duck could be rather, uh, what shall I say, fractious and and would scare the turtles, I would think, possibly. But it sounds like they were existing together. So uh, the, the duck just wanted some of the turtle space, I guess.
2: Any thoughts, Libby? Well, just one thing that occurs to me is that People generally scare turtles off of logs, so when our caller or our observer walked up, that really might have been what scared the turtles off the log, more so than the duck. They're probably used to the duck's existence, and they might share that log. I know that in the museum aquariums, of course, that's not a natural environment, but... Various species will get on a log together and really they'll tolerate each other pretty well. So, I really wonder if the person walking up might have been what scared the turtle away more so than the duck, even.
1: And also, does that make sense? Yeah, would it be too that if maybe there were some bold uh, turtles that got up on the log with the duck there and then when things didn't go south, as it were, you know, that everybody got along, uh, that maybe they realized they could share the log uh, on, on, on occasions?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: All right, got another caller to get to. Uh, This time, let's talk to Dina in Brandon. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
6: Uh, Good morning. It's a question regarding a friend of mine in Alabama who just started volunteering at a horse sanctuary, but they also have 10 cats living on an indoor porch with um, outdoor access that's a small area, maybe a 30 by 40, or I don't know the exact dimensions. But she's trying to figure out... How to set up an outdoor litter box that would be earth-friendly, friendly for the cats. Because right now, the, the guy who's running the place uses doesn't know about cats. He's using um, newspaper in a big litter box. And it, she said it's disgusting. So she's trying to figure out the best way to have an outdoor litter box. And she was thinking sand in a big, like, six-by-six six box that's filled with sand. And then they could just scoop it every day.
4: Would that work, and, and do you have any other suggestions? You know, cats, cats like a very, uh, in general, a fine uh, litter, and I would think that maybe the sand would work. And uh, certain litter boxes are one of those things. With 10 cats, you're going to need a really big litter box or several litter boxes, and they need to be scooped out and cleaned every day. That would be very important. I would say try the sand or try some other loose material that would be organic and not detrimental to uh, the environment.
1: All right,
6: okay.
4: D- Dina. Thanks for
1: calling in this morning. And I would say too, there might be some commercially made um, litter that that could be organic in nature. We appreciate your uh, giving us a call this morning on Creature Comforts. It is an all-pet day here. If you have a question for Dr. Major, you can give us a call at one mpb ring It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Well, President Biden's dog, Major, involved in the news again. He was involved in a second nipping incident at the White House during a walk. He had an earlier incident with a Secret Service agent. He's now back at their Delaware home to receive more training. Uh, He's the first shelter dog to live in the White House, but not the first German Shepherd named Major to live there. President uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's dog, Major, was known to chase White House maids to the point that they had to use their brooms and dust mops to keep him at bay, according to the Presidential Pet Museum, and he was involved with at least three biting incidents. Do German Shepherds, Dr. Major, get a bad rap for, for nipping and biting?
4: Gosh, that's an excellent question. Uh, training is everything. This was a dog from the shelter and needs to be probably continually retrained. Uh, he sounds like a nipper, and uh, I would say that uh, you know it's it's one of those things. How much of uh, PR type press and everything are we actually getting the true story? I don't know, but the dog does need to be trained, <coughs> trained, excuse me, trained some more. And uh, it's it's really not acceptable for a dog, you know, to be biting, whether it's Secret Service or a guest or anything like that. So I think that that is an issue that has to be addressed. As far as German Shepherds, you know, what is the number one bite dog in the U.S., according to uh, some of the statistics I've seen? And of all things, it's a Shih Tzu. Uh, and probably because it has to be groomed, and some of them obviously don't like to be groomed. As far as large dogs, uh, in in my experience, uh, German Shepherds are one of those that will bite, uh, and they were trained as uh, herders. They were trained as uh, dogs that would be uh, used in police enforcement, this sort of thing. So, yes, some of the bloodlines probably are more, bites and others.
1: But I would think in the case of Major, or if someone uh, out there listening had rescued a German Shepherd or any other kind of dog that's having these issues, as you mentioned, uh, with proper training, this is something that probably could get uh, under control?
4: Oh, I think so. And, you know, if you look at uh, Major... He may be a purebred German Shepherd. I kind of doubt it. Uh, he's probably some mixed mixed breed. Uh, the older dog, I can't think of the older dog's name, looks like a purebred German Shepherd. Uh, but Major uh, may be a mixed breed. That has probably nothing to do with the fight. That he's biting, but I would say certainly uh, additional training is, is in order.
1: Uh, champ, I think, if I'm not Mistaken is the name of the other dog that the Bidens have.
4: I I feel a little sorry for Champ. You can tell when he walks, he's got some fairly severe arthritis. Uh, He's an older dog. I'm not sure, what, 10 or 12 years old at least. And uh, he moves kind of slowly, kind of like me sometimes.
1: I think uh, some of us uh, myself included are getting to that stage in life dr major you're right uh I will say that if they had to use a muzzle, they would probably look good with you know the presidential seal on a muzzle if uh, if it ever came to that so
4: um he he could be he could be masked up yes he could <laughs> that could be certainly part of it
1: let's go ahead and take another break uh, when we get back we'll start we continue to look for your pet questions uh the number to call in with a pet question is one eight seven seven MPB Ring. Our phone number is 1 877 672 7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Pet day continues on creature comforts after this.
2: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
1: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. If you ever missed any of the program, you can always subscribe to the podcast using any podcast app. Or you can download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Then you get to enjoy all the MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Remember our phone number, it's one eight seven seven MPB ring. One eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email animals at mpbonline dot org. We do have another caller on the line. This time we'll say good morning to Dorothy in Meridian. Dorothy, you're on the air, so go ahead, please.
6: Good morning. Thank you. Um, I've just been listening and enjoying your show, and I just realized I have two rescue dogs from the streets of Meridian, and I've had them now for a couple of years. And they go to the vet and get everything they need, and um, they're short-haired. One has pit bull in him, and they don't need to be groomed. So I'm wondering, I have not given them a bath. Should they have a bath every so often or what? I mean, I don't want to overlook something. (laughs)
4: Well, certainly, uh, certainly one of the things that uh, you could do is give them baths. Good brushing is very important. Uh, you can get a brush that's suited for the short-haired dogs, and that stimulates the skin, uh, helps remove loose hair, and may be the best way to go. An occasional bath is good. Uh, I, I, would not, I personally would not bathe the dog over if it was my dog over once a month. Uh, sometimes medical conditions will dictate uh, frequent baths, but in most cases, good grooming with a brush or comb certainly will suffice.
6: Well, the one that has pit bull in him has had serious ear infections and is uh, extremely everything. I have to put him on a pill every month, every day for uh, his, his allergies. He can't eat any any just any dog food. The other one has no problem at all, so I just didn't know what to
4: do. <laughs> one thing I would say, when you bathe your dog, clean the ears first if you would, and then when you bathe, always put a cotton ball down in the ear to keep soap and water out of the ear and then remove the cotton ball when you're finished. <clears throat> Sometimes if you leave soap or soap gets down in the ear, it can cause some irritation on its own. So I would suggest doing that if you bathe them. Sound like you have okay. got some good dogs. Good dogs. I the, uh, I, 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 I do. <laughs> very good. Thank you.
6: Thank you for your help. That's exactly what I needed. Okay. Bye bye.
1: Thanks, Dorothy, for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines on this All Pet Day, so if you uh, want to give us a call, the number is one eight seven seven MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. In fact, we got an email from our buddy Joe McGee, who comes on the show quite frequently, uh, The great information about frogs and birds and insects and that sort of thing, and he sent along a photograph of the crane fly that we were talking about earlier, one that he uh, photo, uh, uh, took a photograph inside of his house from May of 2020. He said they're food for many species of birds, uh and uh, uh java maybe you can post this picture on on the website this thing i've never seen one before but as john davis who called in a begin our crane fly discussion mentioned earlier these are some kind of scary looking things they're just really long spindly legs uh and some big wings and uh, again dr major mentioned how cats love to chase them around i can see that and libby you mentioned how delicate they are and again from the picture uh, you can see that as well. So if you're like me and have never seen a crane fly, hopefully we'll be able to post that picture uh, online with uh, the, with the podcast so that you can see exactly what they look like.
4: Kevin, one, one thing I'll mention as far as I know, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't bite. So I have I've never uh, heard of one of them biting a person or anything like that. So they're, they're harmless, but they can attract the attention of cats for certain cats are spend hours, if not more, on uh, one of those just on the wall or this sort of thing. They can't stand it.
1: Uh, I wonder if they're related to dragonflies in any way because the, they kind of have the, a similar uh, body shape from what I can tell and the wings look a little bit the, – the legs are what get me. That just just like huge legs. Well, yeah, it, I
2: you know, don't think like, they're related to dragonflies. For one reason, dragonflies are such – Tough and you know they're the strongest flyers. And um, crane flies are pretty delicate and easy to tear up. But thank you, Troy. That is the best thing to mention is that they don't bite at all because we did compare them to a mosquito and they kind of look like a great big mosquito, but they don't bite at all. And they you let's, know they're not at all interested in, eat, in a, a blood meal like mosquitoes are.
4: Let's think about this compare them to a Model T versus a jet. Uh, <laughs> the dragonfly <laughs> in the jet, and and these may be more like the Model T or at least one of those contraptions where that man was trying to learn how to fly. They they look pretty yeah. awkward. They get around, but they look pretty awkward when they're flying. All right.
2: So maybe they're an early model, huh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. We've got another caller on the line. We'll say good morning to Bill in Madison. Bill, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
7: Oh, thank you so much. I'm enjoying your show. Um, I have. Read uh, over the last year, a few instances of
3: transmission or suspected transmission of COVID-19 to people through minks or other mm-hmm. possible animals in Denmark, and they, I think, they um, stopped stopped uh, mink production for a while because of that. And my question is, um, what do you know about transmission of COVID? Between pets and people, and vice versa, and is that a is that something we should be concerned about here in Mississippi?
4: Great, great question. And certainly, uh, that was uh, pretty awful. The, the mink uh, that they had to euthanize, uh, and I guess it was Denmark or Sweden. One, there is there are a few cases where they have suspected. Uh, I think one was in Hong Kong, maybe two in Hong Kong where possibly there was some cross-transmission. Most animals, most species of animals have their own coronavirus, uh, and at times it can mutate. But we're talking, of course, about the COVID-19. And in my opinion, based on everything that I've seen, it's not a problem as far as transmission to our animals or from animal to person. That's based on what I read and heard.
1: All right, Bill, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's an all-pet day. There's time for you to call in with your pet question or your wildlife observation. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's 1-877-672-7464. Email animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, next, it's uh, Levine, I think, is on the air with us. Good morning, Levine. Go ahead.
8: Good morning. Uh, Dr. Major, you may remember Senkara. You have treated him a couple of times. The problem I'm having now is that he's gained a lot of weight, even more so than the last time you saw him. And I'm having a hard time getting him in the car just to bring him to the vet. I I can't pick him up. He's too heavy. I'm not sure what to do.
4: Right.
8: And he's walking with just a little bit of a limp. So I started,
4: How much does he weigh now? How much does he weigh?
8: The last time he was there, I think he was about 84 pounds. He had, hes over 100 now.
4: Okay. Well, there's several things that we need to think about. And have we checked him for his thyroid level?
8: Yeah, I believe you did. Uh, remember, he was—we had just adopted him uh, back in June. Yeah, and he had some ear problems back then.
4: There are several diets diets that actually uh, will help. And most people have a dog that gets into a situation where they're overweight. They say, well, it doesn't eat much, and he may not be a – okay. So we have to measure out how much food he would need and use an actual cup rather than a stadium cup. Not that you're doing that, but I have asked people sometimes how big is the cup, and they say, well, it's it's a large cup. And – I would dare say that this dog, regardless of the food that he's eating, probably doesn't need over three three cups a day. And that's the eight-ounce cup, you know, the one that you can measure. Uh, but there are diets that would help possibly uh, with weight loss. What are you feeding him now?
8: Uh, bound, the one that, the, you know, the grain-free one uh, from Kroger and Based on the weight that I think he is, I do a cup and a half in the morning and a cup and a half in the evening, and I actually do use measuring cups because I've right. been trying not to overfeed him. I've tried to cut back on his treats, you know. And of course, uh,
4: a lot a lot of our dogs have not gotten the exercise that they need during the COVID and this sort of thing. So, if he's able to exercise, it would be great to get him and build up walking. That's one of the best ways for exercise, but. Let's look at the different foods that are available. Uh, You can call. We'll talk about that. Uh, But there are various weight loss foods that can help and restricted diet, restricted calories. So you may need to look at a different food than what you're feeding now.
8: Uh, okay, I may need to do that. Um, I'll give you all a call. I just know I, I, he has a little bit of a limp, and <clears throat> on occasion, not always. And I think it's, I think it's arthritis or something, because my last yes. dog, Lucky, had arthritis. So I started giving him a little bit of fish oil, and I actually have some of Lucky's medicine, but I don't want to give it to him until you tell me to. Um, okay. Yes, know. ma'am. All right, I'll now, try to get talk him about in it. here. Okay. Thank,
1: thank you. you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Levine, for calling. This is Creature Comforts. Got some open phone lines on this All Pet Day. The number is one eight seven seven MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show. Send it to animals at Online dot org. So, Doctor Major, this is allergy season for humans. You know the pollen drives a lot of people crazy. When it comes to maybe a, a family thinking about getting a new uh, cat or dog and they might be concerned with allergies, um, are there some breeds that are better than others? I'm thinking maybe maybe a short-haired breed would be better in terms of allergies than a long-haired breed.
5: That's
4: an excellent question. I would say that, in, in truth, uh, a lot of uh, our allergies relate to, in the cat, for example, with saliva, cat grooms a lot, and we may be allergic to the dander that results from the saliva. Uh, that's certainly an issue. Uh, there are certain people that are very allergic to cats. I mean, and there's you know very little that you can do about it if they've got a cat. Uh, some of the hairless cats they've been touted as uh, being uh, allergy-free. Uh, I would have my doubts about that as well. Uh, as far as dogs. Uh, You've got allergies. The dogs have allergies just like us, and I don't know of any dogs that are actually allergic to people. Uh, That would be an interesting study to do, but uh, there are things that we can do, Uh, and this is one of the cases where regular baths may help, and a lot of the dogs bring in dander or, or things from outside, which actually contribute to our allergies. If you understand that, mm-hmm. they're right down on the ground. They pick it up, and this is definitely an allergy allergy season for dogs, especially.
1: Just, I'm thinking that maybe cats would be more uh, of an issue sometimes with human
4: allergies than uh, with dogs. I think so, uh, but you know, cats are the most popular. Uh, household pet right now as compared to dogs. There are more cats, and some of it has to do with convenience. Uh, The fact that in a lot of cases it's easier for an owner to take care of a cat than it is for a dog. But I would say that, uh, yes, uh, cats probably have more allergens than, than the dogs as far as affecting people.
1: But, again, that's just another thing to, uh, to think about uh, before you bring a pet into your home. Right. Uh, one of the things that you need to consider before right. you do it, because if you, you know, if you bring one in
4: and there's issues, then that's a little harder right.
1: to resolve.
4: Kevin, uh, one, of the, one of the things that last week somebody asked about uh, FIP, which is feline infectious fer- uh that is caused by, and we didn't discuss it in detail, a coronavirus that actually is in the cat population. All cats don't have FIP, but FIP, the coronavirus, can mutate and cause that condition. So within the cat, uh, it's not something that's spread to people. So I just wanted to kind of clarify that. I don't think we uh, got into a great discussion about it. The lady had a question about FIP. Yeah, I remember that. Thank you for the
1: follow-up. Uh, it's time for our last break this hour. It's an all-pet day today. Dr. Major, still ready to take your pet questions? Join the conversation and call in with your questions or comments at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 email animals at mpbonline.org looks we've got a couple of callers on the line we'll get to those calls after this break
3: a contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think eh, maybe i'll try it myself some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it if you want to find out how to do those things listen to fix it 101 podcast everywhere
1: You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. If you miss any of today's show, you can subscribe to the podcast using any podcast app or by downloading the MPB Public Media app. That way you get to the MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Got some calls lined up. Let's see if we can uh, get through these final calls in this final portion of the show. We'll start at Daphne, Alabama. John's on the line. Good morning, John. Go ahead, please.
7: Oh, thank you, Kevin. Um, I had a question for Dr. Major uh, about a cat. He showed up just about the time that um, Hurricane Sally departed our area. And uh, we've tried to help him. Our little court here has become sort of cat central for stray cats. And um, I've got one that I'm caring for. My neighbor next door has one that she's caring for. And our, my neighbor across the street is caring for this new guy that i have named newbie, and it seems to have stuck. Uh, he's um, he looks like he's walking around without any pants on because he's chewed off so much fur from about his waist down. Uh, he's even trimmed his bushy tail back. He uh, and um, the skin kind of looks bad too, but he seems to be otherwise healthy. Now my neighbor across the street is going to take him to the vet Tuesdays, so. I'm hoping that you can suggest, uh, well, describe what the problem might be and suggest useful questions that uh, my neighbor could ask the vet uh, come Tuesday. Sure.
4: Well, that's an excellent, excellent question and kind of an unusual case. Now, his hair coat from his midsection forward looks good?
7: Yeah, pretty good. But uh, uh, for a long time he was walking around, it looked like he had a, a – French goatee and mustache because of all the hair that was sticking to his muzzle.
4: I see, I see. Uh, things that you would think about would be some sort of parasite. If fleas are under control, that could have been part of the problem. Uh, there could be uh, basically, which is a little unusual to have that pattern. Could be some sort of uh, parasite, such as demodectic mange or scabies. Is he, in your opinion, is he very? Uh, paritic or itchy? Does he scratch a lot?
7: I don't see him scratching a lot. That's okay. uh, I've been watching for that, and I don't know if I just missed it or whether he is just not doing that very much.
4: Right. There's a whole host of things. You know, I hate to even say the word, but ringworm or fungal disease could be part of it. Uh, certainly, that's something that uh, she needs to ask the vet. The other, if there's nothing apparent from the standpoint of any type of uh, insect or uh, any type of uh, infestation I would say that probably we may be dealing with a hormonal or other issue that could cause this but it's a little strange to have that pattern.
7: Um, how about emotional issues because it it was apparent from the way he behaved that he wanted to get inside somebody's house and so I figure since we've had people moving in and out uh, in the uh, Daphne area well rather than mostly moving out uh, that somebody had a very nice, well-adjusted cat that they just decided uh, could not come with them, and they dumped him.
4: That's an interesting thing. And, of course, Sally came through, what, six, eight months ago?
7: Uh, in September 15th, yeah.
4: Yeah, so you would think that uh, if he's adjusted with this person that he probably would be growing some hair back. If the hair's not coming back and you're not seeing him pull the hair out, uh, I would say that, yes uh psychological or emotional problem could be part of it but uh under good care you would think that it would be uh growing back so it's a, it's a little complicated and those are some questions i would ask trying to rule out any type of skin parasitism uh a possible hormonal uh uh situation with the cat and uh also the emotional part so She's got her hands full and trying to talk to the vet, and hopefully she'll find somebody that will listen to her and can figure out what's going on. Maybe report back to us uh, in the future as far as how this cat's doing.
7: Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks,
4: John, for your, your call. call. <clears throat> Let's go next to Terry, who's in Tippa
1: County. Good morning, Terry. Your turn. You're on the air.
7: Hello. Uh, my
6: dog, an inside dog, has just terrible troubles during storms, such as the the ones we had the last few days. Any ideas to provide comfort or anything during the thunderstorms? And the dog is mostly deaf, so
4: I don't... A dog is probably perceiving changes in uh, the uh, atmospheric or barometric pressure. A lot of the dogs can can sense when a storm is, you know, several miles away uh, without actually hearing anything, to my knowledge. But there are some medications that could be given, and usually you have to with this type thing. Is she calm otherwise when there's no storm around?
6: Right. Yes, absolutely.
4: Okay. Uh, Talk to your vet. I would say probably in this case some sort of uh, tranquilizer uh, would be good. A lot of our dogs react to fireworks and big parties and things like that. I would suggest that, but uh, one of the, uh, what shall I say, least expensive and it uh, has to have a prescription, but we have a fair number of dogs that are on generic Prozac, uh, which seems to work pretty well from the standpoint of at least leveling this uh, anxiety or disturbance off. Talk to your vet about that and see what, see what the vet has to say, okay?
6: Okay, thanks so much.
4: You're welcome. Thank you, Terry, for your call. Next, it's uh, Alan
1: in uh, Theodore, Alabama, on the line. Go ahead, Alan. You're on the air with us.
0: Great. Comment on earlier, I've had over 20 years of experience with German shepherds and never had a bite issue. They are physically a very active and interactive uh, animal. They'll interact with you like a member of the family. They are wanting to have something to do. Uh, if the dog has not been abused, there shouldn't be any problem. If it has been abused, you may need a Prozac type of issue To if they're under control. Usually they'll be very shy or aggressive. Never had a problem. Most of the skin problems come from flea issues. And even though you do everything that you can, you can't stop the fact that people next door have cats that come onto your property and the cat fleas are there. Get on the dog. The dog brings them in. Then they get in the house. And you about have to take and do a a study in insect control and then treat your house inside and out with a permarethrin type of uh, insecticide. Also, bathing the dog with a mild dawn detergent type of a thing as needed and the flea control. But you'll spend a lot of money at the veterinarian, and they'll, they'll be so happy to see you and do all kind of treatment for your dog's hot spots, and they'll get them cleared up. But if you don't do the flea control inside, outside, and on your dog with some professional products, you're always going to have problems. And we've had dogs and puppies, and I just have a great time playing with the puppies, and then we do rehome them to other people that want them but the main thing is that I get to play with the puppies and socialize them before they go to another family and those people never have problems with those dogs because we keep in contact with our customers and just a comment more or less affirming what the uh, veterinarian had said earlier uh, if there's a problem with your German Shepherd you most of the time have to look around at the environment and handle that issue and a little bit with the dog also, but keep them very active. They are—they really need the outside activity every day.
1: All right, Alan, thank you. Some great tips there, and you know great, the, the you know,
4: kind of points. I—I
0: I would agree with
4: uh, Alan uh, in the majority there. One of the problems, of course, is he, hes a professional and taking good care of his dogs. But uh, remember this: dogs are a good judge of character, and a lot of times take after their owner, too. So, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no said on that. All right. that's going to be your call, now. Yeah.
1: That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners like you, and thanks to everyone who made contributions during our drive time last week. It was quite a success. If you need to find today's show or previous show, go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener is Liz Gill. For Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.